0: It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611.
1: Good planets are hard to find. Temperate
2: zones and tropic climes... True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone on and safe sunshine. Well, Good planets are hard to find
0: Good planets are in the main Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova.
2: And
3: because the, uh, The beginning of the audio was enough. This is the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. I guess I should say that. I thought it was my ears. Uh, No, I was looking. I was going, oh, the meter's kicking. Okay, what did I do? Well, what happens is when I fade it down here and then I don't bring it up before the next week's show, that's what happens. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Good morning. And uh, we're off to an auspicious start but um basil's barking in the background so he made up for no audio so we're gonna have basil (laughs) in the background well that's good um it's always a good thing when uh and let me get my uh dingers out here and we've got uh yep got mine all right there we are in case people
4: wonder when we say the dingers
3: there's mine oh boy i'm gonna take a spray paint can and spray that happy face all I, right. I say,
4: okay I'll turn it this way yeah there, there you we,
3: go no you need you need you need the classic okay just the nice chrome kind of thing there
4: my classic is sitting in your box
3: oh it's oh that's right one of these uh one of the two I've From got last here March, yes is it's uh, yeah. oh 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 I see okay so that means that uh uh, uh so well. shut up Wesley that's for me, okay.
4: <laughs> no, that's that's for the that's for the COVID lockdown.
3: Well, all we got to say about our show is everything's
2: so green.
3: Yeah, there you go, mm-hmm. and uh, we're very excited this morning because uh, we're always excited on Saturday morning. I'm always excited just when uh, when everything starts running uh, in order and uh, and uh, it doesn't crash and burn. So there we go uh, with the technology. you know, but it's it's so funny. Um, it's uh, I take great pleasure these days in watching uh, national programs, live events and news programs where they have people who come on and uh, they're having audio problems and they have video problems and things freeze and I just think, okay, yeah. That happens to us too. So happens to us all. Yeah. Everybody's uh, dealing with that this year. So um, uh, on the show today, uh, we're talking gardening. We're talking farming. Um, if you're a a brand new gardener because of the pandemic of COVID nineteen, um, and you want to join the show, be ready for the ten o'clock hour because mm-hmm. we have a couple of gardeners who really started to do this in earnest during the pandemic. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show, and I'll bring it up again when they come on, that uh, we had Chris Beatty's from Grower Talks on um, a few weeks ago who said that somewhere between 16 and 20 million gardeners, uh, there are new gardeners somewhere between 16 and 20 million uh, because of the pandemic, at least those, by some estimates, mm-hmm. and uh, it's and and you sent me a story yesterday. I was looking at last night, Peggy, where that's supposed to go up by fifty percent, maybe.
4: Yeah, yeah. Eighty-six percent of the people who started gardening last year, based on this one study, say they're going to continue or do even more this year.
3: So w- we'll talk about that today too. But uh, at ten o'clock, we got a couple of brand new gardeners going to talk about their own experiences one of whom who is a healthcare professional who's been in the middle of this whole nonsense, the pandemic craziness. Uh, and I'm really uh, excited to talk to her because uh, she's had some interesting experiences. Um, and another is a friend of the show who's a, a communicator in in the biz uh, mm-hmm. with Peggy and me. And, uh, and she's got gardening in earnest. So uh, that is going to be... Uh, a A lot of fun, so if you have those same experiences, stand by, be ready to tweet us and to um to uh to write us on facebook, make a comment um and mm-hmm. just or on help, YouTube if you're watching or on youtube and uh we'll read those on the air uh because we're very interested in that but let's start the program this morning with that guy you see down there in the lower left-hand corner of your screen if you're just listening on the podcast you can't see it obviously but his name is Ariel Pressman and he is with a group that I just became aware of just a few months ago it's called the Real Organic Project and this was uh I found out about it, and, and and Ariel, the other day I was telling you I couldn't find that article. I found it. I found the article that had mentioned you, and it was in a publication called Green Talks, which is part of the the Ball publication line of newsletters and magazines that they send out. Uh, and it was about the what you have just done, what you were able to do just a few months ago, which is to put a new label out for farmers, organic farmers, who are interested in, I don't know, going to the next level. But the, here's the problem with that. When I say going to the next level, you're actually going back to the previous level that used to be the standard for organic farms. And then USDA came in, and they have their certification project. But you guys at the Real Organic Project have looked at that and said, no, that's not what we consider organic. You've, you've let something slide. We're not happy with everything you've done. So we're going to come up with our own standards. So that's sort of the whole thing in short. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the real organic project and your involvement in it? Because you have an organic farm yourself, right?
5: Correct. Yeah. I actually did have an organic farm. I work full time for a uh, real organic project now, but I was an organic farmer for 11 years. Um, yeah, so I, I think you got it exactly right with the real organic project. Um, part of the idea is, you know, some of our standards are actually above what the USDA requires of farmers. But importantly, most of our standards are just reinforcing, you know, what the organic standards are supposed to be. Um, so when you look at the USDA standards and it makes clear that, you know, by definition, an organic farm should be maintaining and improving their soil. Um, that means, by definition, if you're not growing plants in soil, you really shouldn't be allowed to be certified organic. Um, Meaning, by you the same... if you're growing,
4: if you're growing hydroponically,
5: correct, correct. Um, you know, and by the same token, you know, if um, if the standards, you know, the USDA standards indicate that you know farm and farm animals should have actual regular access to the outdoors, um, it makes logical sense that you know enormous CAFO operations where it seems somewhere between unlikely and impossible that animals have be getting actual access to the outdoors and pasture, um, you know, and, and are only really allowed to get certified uh, through some real stretches of logic and legal legalese, um, should not be part of the program. So, you know, we've got some standards that are above and beyond, but I always think it's really important to point out most of our standards are just reinforcing what the USDA organic standards have been and, and are currently supposed to be. So about what, 2018, a group of, I would assume, farmers
3: uh, yeah. and activists, because there's always activists, activists mm-hmm. behind these sorts of things, got together and said, w- this isn't working the way we look at it because of the, the reasons you just explained. Uh, and
5: you guys put together the Real Organic Project. When, when did you join the project? So I joined the project, uh, it would have been last August now. Um, I was farming up until two seasons ago and I'd, I'd sold my farm and I was looking for something meaningful to be involved with and, and a way to continue working with farmers. And, and, and I also heard about the Real Organic Project and thought, you know, I've always known there was a problem. I didn't know there were people actually working on a solution. Um, so it, it felt really exciting to get involved with and, and see if we can actually create some of the change that, that we all talk about and we want to see um, in the food system.
3: You know, it's kind of interesting because in my readings over the years, and Peggy, I'm sure you've encountered the same thing, uh, at the beginning when uh, organics became a big deal and, and became big money, and that's what we're talking about. And big business. Big business, right. Um, a lot of folks, as it, that was happening, a lot of folks who were farmers who would stand up at farmers' meetings and organizational meetings, whether... I guess, USDA or Farm Bureau or whatever and would talk about uh, organics would be laughed at and sometimes shouted down, and it it was a hard beginning. Then all of a sudden, organics are making money. Mm -hmm. And so uh, big government gets involved, which is the USDA, and has the standards, Um, and now uh, once you go down that road, Things can change, and and it's kind of a slippery slope, as you mentioned. You know what I want to show here is the difference. You, um, your folks yep. s- sent me some photos that are are very very interesting. So, f- for instance, if you look at this photo, this is courtesy of the Cornucopia Institute and the Washington Post. Uh, you look it's at a that
4: large KFO operation. That's for what those it is on correct. the podcast.
3: But guess yep. what? Look at the designation up in the left-hand corner at the top, USDA Organic. So uh, you're telling me, Ariel, that that is an organic operation?
5: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, part of what's happened is, um, you know, there's been some very legalese kind of reinterpretations of the rules. So one way that it was written when when the standards were originally put in place, and I think it's important Um, To keep in mind exactly what you said, Mike, that, you know, originally when these government standards were written, the idea that organic would be big business was kind of comical. You know, so the idea at the time or the thought at the time was, well, only farmers that are really interested in the spirit of this will be doing it um, because there is no big money to be made. So you can understand why there may have been some loopholes that were kind of set up um, because nobody thought anybody would take advantage of them. So Mm -hmm. what you're seeing in these poultry facilities is, is, is often what happens is, um, the, the terminology and the standards is that poultry needs to have access to the outdoors. And if you're a regular consumer, you might go, that sounds pretty good. If you're a lawyer, you might go, well, access doesn't say you actually have to go outside. It just means that you have to have the possibility of going outside. So oftentimes these facilities will just have a couple small doors, only enough for one chicken to fit through. They've been inside their whole life, so they're, they're scared to go outside anyways because there's predators. Um, so they'll spend their whole lifespan literally just inside of a building. Um, sometimes they'll have access to what's known as a porch, which uh, usually is, you know, something like a concrete pad with, you know, essentially a screen porch over it. Um, and sometimes they're just allowed to stay inside of buildings like the ones you're looking at. Um, and I think any organic consumer would say, well, I thought the whole reason I'm buying certified organic eggs is because I do not want to be supporting facilities like these. Yeah. Um, and even though probably the vast majority of farms are doing things the right way, the vast majority of actual eggs on the marketplace are coming from operations like this
3: all right i don't want I, I and let me show you the the comparison that is that is yeah. usda organic and the this photo courtesy of coyote creek farm in texas uh is a real or i, I assume this is a certified farm uh
5: yep. yeah by, it absolutely Yes.
3: by real organic project uh it's also usda certified but it's mm-hmm. and and that's where we get to the difference Uh, between what we just saw and and what you're seeing here. Um, So what you're doing with your label is you're... And and real quick for folks
4: just listening, this is free-range chickens out in a pasture.
3: Thank you. Yeah, this is one of those things, like when you when you do this online and you say, oh, put the alternate type, uh, put a description yeah. here. So put an that, alt
4: text tag there. Alt
3: text <laughs> tag, so that, that if the picture doesn't I'll show up. i the alt
4: text tag this morning.
3: <laughs> you, thank you, Peggy. You could be the alt text tag. Uh, what we're seeing is a picture of free-range chickens. They're out. They're in the grass. They're pecking around. They're having a great time. Uh, they are not just uh, uh, daring to come out on some little porch in a steel and concrete facility. Uh, and as a result, you at the Real Organic Project have deemed this a Real Organic Project certification.
5: Correct, correct. And I, and I think that the couple big things to notice as you're looking at this picture is, first of all, we've, we've added some additional clarification to some standards to make sure there's less loopholes. So first of all, we don't say that the animals just need access. We say they actually need to be outside um but the second thing is we define pasture which is really important so when we're talking about pasture um, we're saying that's ground that has at least 50 percent um kind of plants or shrubs or trees growing in it because if you don't define pasture then what will often happen is you know somebody can just show up to a dirt lot and say well this is pasture um and so this way we can actually you know mandate that that pasture actually is a real outdoor area that the birds would want to hang out in and by definition, if there's too many birds, they'll degrade. They'll degrade the pasture to the point where we would not consider a pasture anymore. Yeah. So we can ensure that kind of the soil and the animals are being taken care of um, really well through kind of this this this, this standard and certification system.
3: And I don't want to go down any rabbit holes here, but when we chatted the other day when we were setting up the the connection here, uh, yeah, uh, we talked about and Peggy and I have talked about this in the past. Which is if you go to a supermarket, which you go to any store, you go anywhere to buy eggs pretty much, um that you're going down a rabbit hole if you're trying to figure out whether they've been humanely raised, whether they're organic uh it's there are so many designations it's it's byzantine, it's a jungle yeah. out there, as they say, and it's almost impossible to to determine whether the eggs were raised. Humanely because of the loopholes and the lawyers as you talk about what determines a pasture what determines open space what determines free, determines free range uh, sometimes you know sometimes it's good to get lawyers involved and sometimes it's really bad to mm. get lawyers involved. Um, what, what are your considerate, as I said to you, the way I look at it to, to make my determination is I go to the cornucopia Institute and look at their list. But the problem with that is a lot of the companies that are listed at cornucopia Institute are not going to be found in the stores in my area. So you're stuck yeah. going down the list until you find something that instead of has, has a five egg rating, has a three egg rating or a two egg rating. And sometimes you're happy just to get that.
5: Yeah. So the first thing I'd say, obviously, I'll put in a plug for us, is we've got 450 certified farms across the country. Um, We have a similar list if you go to our website, realorganicproject.org. You know, the other thing I would say, though, is when you're you're looking for eggs that meet your values in a supermarket, um, I think obviously the best thing to know is if you know the farmer, if you've been out to the farm, if you have a relationship with them, that's always one of the best reasons that we need to support local agriculture is these people are knowable. Um, and oftentimes farmers are willing to have you on their property to see what's happening. Some of these really large cable operations, you'd need a court order to actually get on there um, and, and actually see even what the growing practices are. But the second thing I'd really encourage consumers to do is, you know, sadly, you've got to utilize a little bit of common sense when you're purchasing eggs. And and, and one thing that you can see, what? for example, I know, right? So it's and I, and, I it, and I get it, people, people are busy, but, I, you know, I think I one of the things i know but you know one of the things is that um although price point is is certainly not always indicative of practices just because it's expensive doesn't mean it's good just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's bad um in general what you can probably guess though is that these producing these eggs on coyote creek it's gonna be a lot more expensive actually maintaining that pasture letting the chickens out moving them around than just having a giant pole barn that the chickens spend their whole life in so you know, just me as a consumer, one of the things I often do is like, oh, okay, if I, if I see eggs that look good and they're like $3 a dozen, um, you know, I don't want to say that uniformly means they're produced poorly, but it seems pretty unlikely they're produced up to the standards I'd like them to be, because yeah. it's just going to be extremely difficult to do that, um, you know, utilizing the right practices. So that doesn't mean just yeah. go out and buy them the most expensive thing you can find, but, you know, I think you need to apply a little more rigor to things that... that but you know what,
3: but that's a deal breaker. For a lot of people, I mean, if yeah. you go to a farmer's market in this area, and I don't know what it's like in other areas, if you're getting uh, eggs from folks who are coming to a farmer's market, it's going to be in the 6 to $7 a dozen range. And yep. a lot of people will say, no, I, can't, I can't afford it. I can't yeah. afford that. I got a family. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a pandemic. Uh, and yet during the pandemic, more people than ever have been buying organic. So there's the irony there.
5: Um, Yeah, and I I think at the end of the day, I never want to make it sound like, you know, everybody needs to make their own decisions on their diet and and how that interacts with their values. Um, And even if you don't have the budget to buy everything in the way you wish it was produced, I'd really encourage people just pick one thing. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people have limited budgets right now. A lot of people always have limited budgets. Um, So don't get distressed by the fact that you can't get everything the right way, but at least try to find one or two things that you can because it really does Mm -hmm. make a difference. When you go to your yeah. local food shop, when you go to a Whole Foods, you know, they, are, they are counting which eggs got bought. And if they start to see sales go up from places like Coyote Creek, they're gonna order more. Yeah. Um, and if they see sales go down, they're gonna start dropping them. So again, you know, you know, those of us that I think are lucky enough to, to be able to afford to buy everything in line with their values, great. But I, I really wanna encourage people, don't, don't get discouraged just because you can't do it all. Um, doing something makes a really big difference.
3: All right, let's mm-hmm. go to another photo here. This is, courtesy of the Cornucopia Institute and the Washington Post, another USDA organic certified farm. Um, I believe this is a dairy farm?
5: Correct. Yeah, this is a dairy facility. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, if because of probably the investigating the Washington Post did a couple of th- years ago with Peter Orisky, um, this is probably the issue in organic integrity that the average consumer is most familiar with. Um, And what you're basically seeing is that, I don't know about this specific photo, but oftentimes these milking facilities will have thousands of cows, um, which in theory are, you know, eating pasture for a significant portion of their diet. Um, The problem with this is, one, how do you define pasture? Uh, But the second is that if you talk to anybody that runs a small dairy, they'll tell you the idea that you could get thousands of cows access to enough pasture to kind of get them out then bring them back to the milking facility twice a day is virtually impossible right because you got to keep in mind if you have a couple thousand cows that land you're looking at right around this facility um that's probably only enough to sustain them for you know a couple days if that a couple thousand cows are going to need a lot of grass yeah. Um, yeah so the question is two months from now where in theory are they eating the grass and how do they have enough time to eat that grass walk all the way back to the milking facility walk back to the field walk back to the milking facility um, it just doesn't pass kind of the common sense smell test of of something that could be reasonably happening.
3: And and mm-hmm. uh, looking at this uh, in comparison to beef facilities, uh, there aren't even that many cows in here. I, I, you know, they pack them in even uh, tighter. It seems to me in some of the uh, the meat uh, facilities with those uh, cattle. Um, so. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, and I think it's it's important to to point out for consumers that don't know, um, when you're USDA organic in theory, any ruminant, so dairy cow, beef cow, sheep, um, they need to be getting at least 30% of their diet from pasture. Um, So obviously that's not 100% grass fed, but that's a decent portion. And and to do that, like when you're seeing this photo, um, what farmers will often do is they will move cows from paddock to paddock. The idea is they all go in a small space, they eat a bunch of grass, um, then they move on to the next paddock either after 12 hours a day, two days, and then they can rotate back there in a period of time once the grass is regrown. But that's an enormous amount of work. I mean, you're moving those cows, you know, some of the very intensive facilities, um, you know, the really good farmers, um, there's a lot of ways to do it, but, but some farmers are moving their cows, you know, three times a day, um, to really get the most out of that ground. Um, and, so and- that's, again, that's a lot of work that's gonna make your product way more expensive than, than what you see in the store.
3: And as you can see, this photo is courtesy of Butterworks Farm in Vermont, and it is cows in a in a real pasture, and there's yeah. lots of grass there, uh, and they're not crowded in mm-hmm. as much. All right, I want to move on here because we got to get to your symposium that's coming up. But I've got two more <laughs> yeah. two more photographs, and they relate to the work that you've all. Already done, Ariel. By the way, Ariel Pressman from The Real Organic Project. You can go to uh, realorganicproject.org to find out more information. I think I stepped on you uh, as you were saying that before. Let's make sure people. But you can go to my website, mikenovak.net, and look at the blog post for this week, and all the links are there. Although I just noticed that the the links at the beginning of the uh, blog uh, are are not in the traditional blue uh, ink. I don't know what happened. They got switched to black, and I thought, wait, mm. where are the links? But if you run your cursor over them, you can see the yeah. links are there. And
4: I put up realorganicproject.org on all of the streams as well.
3: Fantastic. All right. Now look at this. We all love tomatoes. Yeah, uh, This is USDA Organic, um, and um, it's all Where's, the, where's the
4: soil?
5: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. 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 And this yeah. is where
3: you come in because you did this yourself for six years uh, you know yep. the difference that soil makes.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. And and not only the difference soil makes for the plants, but understanding that one of the things we're doing when we're organically farming is we are not just growing food for people. We are also improving the soil and the land that the farm is located on uh, for the sake of both the larger environment and the microenvironment that, that we're storing. Um, and so obviously, if you have a facility like this, where the ground is 100% covered with looks like white plastic here, but oftentimes it's black plastic, um, nothing is happening to the actual soil that's lying under it. There's no amendments. Um, there's no care taken for it. Uh, you can't be improving that soil. You can't be working on it. And I think common sense would tell you that the product you are getting um, is is probably not going to be as good as well, what you'd be getting for an actual soil-grown crop.
3: But, the, yeah, they're not a- even in soil. That's, they're no. in some other... Yeah, coconut or water or some medium we don't know with that 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 has an infusion of nutrients and of course here's a blueberry patch uh courtesy of uh, king grove organic farm in florida Uh, and it's real organic project certified yep
5: yeah absolutely and i you know i think one important thing for consumers to realize that they sometimes don't is obviously there's a variety of you know types of crops and and varieties and growing methods but In the end of the day most of the flavor compounds that we really enjoy in plants come from stress you know so when i used to grow tomatoes uh if you had a stretch of of, of especially hot weather or something like that you'd get intense flavor in the tomatoes um Mm -hmm. so in a way uh you know you can almost when when you've got these plants that are being grown in these absolutely perfect growing conditions where it's got this medium and it can't be affected by the weather um, in a way it's been it's been raised in, in an environment with no stressors which is why I think people often find you know the flavor is is not as good in produce that's been produced hydroponically as, as soil grown produce yeah
3: if, if you want real flavor you have you have to make the plant think it's about to die all right and, and... <laughs> And then, it, and then it goes, oh, oh okay, I think, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some flavor. Maybe I'll give you some seeds. Would you like some seeds? A flower. I'll do that for what, you. Why does that <laughs> tomato sound like Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> well, I, well <laughs> wait, well, just, just just, a minute here. I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some flavor. Yeah, yeah, how would <laughs> you like that? All right, uh, oh, so so this is why you've, and, you know, and we could go on for a long time. There's, let's be clear. There's an argument out there right now, a huge argument about whether hydroponics does the same thing as growing in soil. And mm-hmm. to just say blanketly no, I, I'm not willing to say that. Um, I do appreciate stuff grown in the soil. I'm not. I'm not defending hydroponics. I'm just saying that hydroponics is re- relatively new. And uh, the sci- we need to have the science behind it fully examined. Uh, we do know that in the soil, there are, uh, you know, there's all kinds of biology that we're just beginning to understand. And obviously, if you are manipulating water and adding nutrients, you, you don't get all the magic that's going on in soil. And, and some of it's a mystery to us. Isn't that right, Ariel?
5: What? Yeah, and I I think one thing that's really important to point out as far as the work we do is we're not arguing that hydroponic shouldn't exist. You know, this is not an argument around whether or not these growing methods should be used. It's an argument about whether or not they should be certified organic. Um, And and to our mind, um, hydroponic doesn't meet the basic definition of certified organic. Um, And also for a lot of consumers, they have no way of knowing now what they bought. I think most consumers, if you talk to them, probably don't even know what hydroponic is, more or less that it could be certified organic. I think they made the base level assumption that the food they're buying um, has been grown using traditional methods in the soil. So, you know, I I always want to point out our our vantage point has never been that like hydroponic uh, is not a method people should use. It's just been that that the the USDA certified organic label um, is specifically there for farms that use Um, specific growing methods and and have certain kind of end goals here and and that's why we believe that you know that label should be exclusively for for crops that are grown in healthy living soil
3: okay that takes us to the symposium that you're having all this month of january and that's really why you're here and your your pr people will be very unhappy if i didn't get to this Uh, so that's how we'll (laughs) we'll wrap up um, you're doing uh, a symposium every Sunday. You started last Sunday, the third. Right. It's going on this afternoon. So I'm telling you, folks, you could sign up now and be part of the symposium this afternoon. And I believe they're talking soil this afternoon, aren't they? We are,
5: yes. Today's topic is uh, soil health.
3: So you get to go on and and listen and, and think that idiot Novak. He said that uh, he wasn't sure what how this all uh, shakes down. Uh, I'm just saying there's a lot of science to be determined, and you get to hear the facts from from one side of the story here, and uh, and and it's a convincing argument, really. Uh, But uh, the uh, symposiums are every Sunday during the month of January from 2 to 4 p.m. Central, where we are, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, uh, You've got more than 60 prominent organic farmers and experts uh, discussing, as we said, soil health, nutrition, climate change, and what can we do next. And the attendees can choose uh, between live access uh, interactive ticket or a a pass to view recorded content. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Ariel?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously we have these, like you pointed out, these live sessions going on every week. If you can make the live sessions, we have what's called a Cultivate Package. So if you were to buy a package today, you'll get to go to sessions two through four live. And you'll also have access to watch session one or any of the future sessions for three months um, in a pre-recorded format um you know if you don't have as much money or you don't have the same amount of time we've got something called a germinate pass where you for half the price um you'll have access to the recordings from all of the different five symposium sessions and you can watch those anytime you like as well i also want to point out we do have uh, we have scholarships we have free options for people who are currently farmers and students so we really want to make this a community event we want to make sure people have the ability to show up so um, if you're interested in attending um don't please don't let ability to pay kind of uh, dissuade you. We've got a lot of different options on our website for how you can kind of make sure you get access to the materials regardless.
3: Yeah, the one last week was what is the real organic project. So if you're in the catch-up mode, you could go to that and see that today. As Peggy mentioned, uh, what is soil health? Next week is farming and climate, obviously very important. Session four on the 24th of January is health and nutrition. And then session five, what can we do so uh there there's absolutely a lot going on are you speaking at this uh, are you facilitating <laughs>
5: i was uh, you know it's it's so funny i was going to be one of the speakers and we just ran out of time which is totally fine mm-hmm. we've got an amazing i mean we've got an amazing list we've got yeah. you know, Leah coleman and dan barber and leah peniman and jean martin fortier and you know a whole list of just incredible Bondana, incredible Bondana
4: Bondana shiva alice um waters bill mckibben paul al Hawken. gore
5: yeah, Al Gore, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we've really made an effort Bill to, Iker. yeah, get the whole, yeah, Bill ikers is great. Yeah, we've got, we've got the, to, to really go across the whole landscape here. I think what's so interesting about organic and, and organic integrity is you have so many people from so many different parts of kind of the world that have a vested interest in this, mm-hmm. you know, everything from consumers to scientists, to farmers, um, to activists, and we wanted to make sure we gave everybody a voice. So, um, yeah, we've got a really exciting list of people that, that are speaking to it. If you join the sessions live, got the ability to do breakout groups and networking with people across the country. Um, so we're trying our best in COVID times to still build a little community and, and, and share the information best we can.
3: Well, uh, in COVID times, it's been really fascinating to see how farmers uh, and growers are doing because some of them have actually done very, very well. It's a, a very interesting phenomenon um uh, given the way we started the pandemic and and what everybody thought was going to happen it hasn't really played out exactly the way people predicted um so again you can for the symposium you can go to realorganicssymposium.org but uh you can find that link on my website net. go to the blog post for uh this week uh it has all the other links once again i apologize if you go there you're going to see everything in the same color ink the black but you just run your cursor over it and you'll see the links there and it'll take you I, when i as soon as i get off the air i'm going to change them all to blue so i don't know <laughs> i don't know what happened it just i, I posted the Gremlins. thing. And, yeah it, exactly ariel pressman thank you so much this has been uh we we got we're gonna have to have you back um and I love talk that. About, because uh i think the real organic project is very important uh, i hope you get a lot more farmers involved as you said you're at 450 or thereabouts and going strong yeah. and uh i i imagine uh more and more and we didn't even talk to you about uh you know, you bringing the hammer down because you're the certification guy. Uh, (laughs) But
5: uh, we'll do that the next time you're here. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I I hope we get to see everybody at the symposium later today. I hope so, too. Thanks so much. It's the Mike
3: Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, We will be right back. Peggy and I have a few more things we want to discuss before we get to our gardening friends and what they did during the pandemic year. We hope you stick around. You can
4: help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us.
1: Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting but you can do so much more especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa.
3: At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Collegiate, collegiate, yes we are collegiate,
4: nothing intermediate, no men Trousers, baggy, all our clothes look raggy, but we're rough and ready, yay.
2: Raw, raw,
4: garters, all the things we never wear, and we don't have any ears for rent. Hot flannels, very, very seldom in a hurry. Never,
3: ever worry, ripply, Yeah. And no particular reason I played that, except that, uh, well, maybe, you know, if we're talking about collegiate, uh, we might be talking about... McHenry County College and uh, the new year and and what they're doing up there. And they're doing some fabulous things. Speaking of organic farmers, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a a new chance to learn about growing your own food from McHenry County College's Center for Agrarian Learning. Atina Diffley, organic vegetable farmer and author of the award-winning memoir, Turn Her Sweet Corn, Organic Farming Works, is presenting two workshops of two sessions each. Both feature valuable skills for new and established farmers. The first is Record-Keeping Made Easier. You know, I was, all right, I'm sorry, Record-Keeping Made Easier, Strategies and Systems. And then, by the way, that starts this Wednesday, January 13th, and then there will be a second session on the 20th. And speaking of records, I was talking to my friend Mac Austin, uh, who has been on this program, uh, mm-hmm. she's a master naturalist and, uh, a friend and we were ordering seeds. Kathleen and Mac and I were ordering seeds and she said, Oh, I'll go look at my journal to the blah, 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 blah. And I, and, and my response was journal. Why? That's a, what a concept that is just as <laughs> what I, I go out and I stand in the yard in the spring, I go, wait, I think I grew something there last year. And
4: Well, that's, that's where the phones it, come in real handy, though,
3: too. You know what I did? You gave me the the garlic. And because I am so darned lazy, uh, <laughs> what I did, you gave me the garlic. And each of the garlic, t- uh, Peggy was nice enough to give me three different garlic types. And they were all identified by different colored ribbons. And Um, I planted them, threw the ribbons on the ground on top of where I planted them, took a photo of it, and now I know which one is growing where. That's it. So (laughs) that's Perfect. That's uh, a good record. Anyway. Back to MCC, uh, the second (laughs) session for Atina Diffley is Crop Planning for Market Needs and Profitability on January 27th and February 3rd. As part of your registration, you will receive either the Wholesale Success Manual or Direct Market Success Manual, an $80 value, published by Family Farm. Which is supporting these workshops. As we've mentioned before, Tina Diffley has been a guest on our show. She's welcome back. We need to get her back. Uh, she knows her stuff, and you're going to be glad you signed up, especially when you realize that the workshops are available for only five bucks each. Now, come on, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not a lot of money. Uh, go to slash cal. To find more information, that stands for uh, Center for Agrarian Learning, mchenry.edu slash cal. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And you were telling me the other day, Peggy, that I needed to bring back uh, some of the stuff that uh, we... uh, Some of our drop-ins. Some of our drop-ins that, we, you know, in all the technical madness, now that things are starting to... Slow down. The only thing I need to fix now is why I have a little latency in this video stream. But eh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but I, I found this. Oh, wait. No, I turned that off. Let's do it this way. Don't be a jerk. We haven't played ah. that in a long yep. time. And it's so appropriate in this. Uh, in the last few weeks uh, in certain circles. What a jerk move. I mean, you know you know what I'm talking about <laughs> do, you, do you have any idea of why I might tell somebody don't be a jerk okay and 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 i we have to say that's from will county they yes. did will county did the most magnificent series of videos in the past couple of years how the, how
4: not to use the forest preserves
3: yeah how not to use the forest preserves, and it shows all these people who are being jerks out there what a jerk move and uh with their dogs and with litter and fishing and and just the way that that people can spoil (laughs) your nice walk in a forest preserve or an open area just by being jerks. So their advice is don't be a jerk. Okay. And uh, we, we want to let you know that Um, you and I have some stuff that uh, uh, we wanted to talk about. And I realized I don't have the, our uh, our chat function up here. I, I need to get to the chat function. Oh, just I don't have like... the chat function up either. So you, you don't either. No. So nobody's nobody's doing chat here today this morning. Oh dear. Well, let us know what. Well, uh... no,
4: I, no. Well, I, okay. You you mean um, restream? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, we've got Jessica watching from New Jersey this morning. Susan watching from Elmhurst. Um, Amos says good morning.
3: Hey, Amos. Uh,
4: Nan- Nancy Bender is watching. I need some water. <clears throat> you take it over? <laughs> Hello.
3: <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm not seeing any messages in there. I don't know why I'm not Oh, probably cuz it if you just opened it it doesn't show the past messages. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So, okay. Skeet just posted. Hey, Skeet. And, and Skeet's there as well. Yeah. If you're there, let us know you're out there right now. Type in a message. W- 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 the way we've got it set up, if you type into Facebook, if you type into Twitter, if you type into um, YouTube. Periscope. Periscope okay, or you-
4: YouTube.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, Snappy oh, J. Per- Periscope. Periscope is Twitter. Um, and but, it-
4: uh, but if you're on Twitter, it doesn't post. You have to be using the Periscope app.
3: Yeah, you got to be on Periscope. Yeah, but if you're on, yeah, that's true. Some people will watch us and listen on Facebook and then tweet, uh, mm-hmm. and that's they got to show up. So Matt Kelleher, who are the guests today? Well, we just had a guest, Ariel. Uh, in this, in the second hour, we have um, a, w- a woman named uh, Alex Zuck and Maggie Karidis. Um, and Meggie is a is a um, um, a, uh, a communications professional in the chicago area mm-hmm. peggy and i work with her all the time uh, and alex alex is a, a health care professional yeah. on the southeast side and they both sort of got into gardening uh, because of the pandemic this year and they have great stories and i've got some photos from their yards as uh, well so oh more sick. people
4: more people pouring in look at allison that. good morning from grace lake sarah botka present Jamie, hello from LaGrange Park, and
3: Dan Costa is listening as always. Dan is very, uh... oh, you know what? Uh, Since Dan popped up here, one of the things that we didn't do, and, and I wanted to make clear because he sent me an email. Let me find it here. Um, all right keep
4: keep posting while you're looking
3: yeah just keep all of you who are out there just post and let us know where you are uh we want to say hi and um um (laughs) we did a show uh the last show i believe of uh 2020 uh and we were talking about christmas cactus and uh oh yeah and we inadvertently uh spread some inaccurate information and i want to correct that uh because dan costa uh, wrote to me and we said something about the effect that christmas cactus uh are basically the same it's just when you get them to bloom <laughs> and dan wrote um not so much um he says they are actually he says that thanksgiving christmas and easter cactus are not the same uh and hmm. the three uh different uh and i i guess they are genera uh uh, Or or species? I don't know what it is, Dan. You let me know. Zygocactus, Schlumbergera, and Salidopsis. Easy for you to say. Yeah, really. Uh, (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Don't be a jerk. Okay. Uh, And um, uh, he says that Thanksgiving cacti are quicker to bloom and come in many colors. The segments have horns, which the other do not. And that's interesting because Nancy Bender, who's watching us today, uh, recently presented me with a gift. I remember, and and on that very show, I said, boy, I haven't had uh, a a Christmas cactus in a long time. (laughs) And she said, I've got one. (laughs) And we arranged a a, a pickup, and I I have brought the cactus home. And now I have to figure out which one it is. Uh, you talk about horns. This thing seems to have horns. I'm wondering if it has... Can, uh, can you
4: hold it up? Dan's watching.
3: Uh, I would have to go all the way over to uh, the other room and get... Okay. Well, if you're willing to tap dance, I, I would do it. Um, wait a second. Okay, you do that. Talk amongst yourselves. You, you're <laughs> Peggy... You're on. I'll be right back. I'm on. Hold okay. On. I don't know. Here. We'll
4: talk about something here. I'll get. Uh... <laughs> Actually, Dan says those are the um, genera on the different cactus. So who else is joined? We've got Linda from Harvard. We've got Zan from Evanston. Um, David from Berwyn. Okay. Who else is out there? Well, Mike is running to get his cactus. So Dan, get ready to do an ID. I can see. Mike headed back this way right now. Here he is. Drum roll.
3: Nobody didn't interrupt anything. Oh, no. No, no, no. We were were kind of just waiting for you to come back. Okay. Here's the cactus. It's really... Look at this. It's really... And there's a butterfly little thing in the middle of it. All right. So I guess I have to put this up here so we can see. Yeah, it looks like it's got the horns on it. Yeah, so... Dan, if you're watching, is that, uh, can you ID it from, let's bring it in even a little closer. If we, it's got to stop moving around. So there we go. Not to put you on the spot or anything, Dan. No, but uh, I want an answer in 10 seconds. Uh, let's see if I can put this down without garroting myself. For a <laughs> Careful! Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Kathleen, All you're right. too late. <laughs> Okay, I well, a...
4: while we're waiting on that, so About, which to
3: these? But I wanted to say, uh, he says, uh, the segments have horns, which the others do not. That's the Thanksgiving cacti. Uh, true Christmas cactus are only in pink and hard to find for sale. Interesting. So if you've got, it's like. Dan says it's a Thanksgiving cactus. So there we go. I've got a Thanksgiving cactus. Which is which one? Is that the zygote cactus, the Schlumbergera, or the Rip? Saladopsis, <laughs> Saladopsis. Um, So uh, he says a true Christmas cactus are only pink, hard to find. Easter cactus flowers look daisy-like, hmm. and there are several colors. So there you go. So we learned something about Christmas cactus. He says zygo cactus. So, Thank okay. you, Dan. So I've got the zygo cactus. So good. See? And then, so for and Feeding... That's uh that's important to know what uh, kind of plant you have. Uh but it does uh speaking of cacti, it takes me to the article that you sent uh about plants and I've got to go to I don't know if you have that up already about uh the favorite
4: Oh, today is houseplant appreciation day.
3: Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and who decides that it's houseplant appreciation day? Right? Um, Well, uh, perhaps this group, but um, whether you're
4: green-fingered or not, it seems our obsession is even more transparent on social media with more than 4 million posts for hashtag houseplants on Instagram. Wow. So um, homeowners around the world can't get enough of houseplants with more than 4 million posts on Instagram, like I said. The most Instagrammable houseplant is Cactus with more than 23 million posts, followed by Hoya. The least tagged houseplant is the corn plant, but that's got over 40,000 tag posts. I'm, I'm the trying in, to find that
3: because i, I was, I'm, Why, why, first of all, I want to know why cactus are the most photographed. I, I don't get that. I don't even own a well, cactus. Well, succulents
4: have, have gotten very popular. Succulents and, and cacti have gotten popular. But I feel sorry
3: right for now. the corn plant, the Dracaena.
4: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, it's like everybody has one. And, wow. nobody, and nobody takes a picture of it? Come I guess on. not.
4: But the, the most, okay, the most Instagrammable air purifying plants, according to um, homehow.co.uk, um, the most Instagrammable air purifying plants are the snake plant and the Chinese evergreen. With 300,605 tags for the snake plant and 242,599 for the Chinese evergreen. So there you go
3: it's 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 just uh kind of nuts it's um (laughs) it's uh
4: so if you want to celebrate houseplant appreciation day go and post on instagram and hashtag houseplants
3: and and the thing is they're basing um the uh their um Oh, and I'm trying to find the link. I had. It, I was looking at it last night. I saw it on my phone, and I was and I was able to find it on my phone easy. And now I'm looking at the article. Yeah, where's the link in there? The, well, it's
4: homehow.co.uk.
3: Right. I went there, but where where do you go once you get there? It's, I don't know. It's buried. It's well, not see, a direct link, unfortunately. Well, it was on the phone. It's just weird. Okay.
4: Well, maybe they
3: moved it. Um. <laughs> but the <laughs> but the point is they're basing this all on Instagram. It's like if you yeah. don't if you don't do Instagram, I mean this is the instagrammable plants uh which is kind yeah. of a a weird odd thing anyway. Um so those are the there are 4 million posts more than 4 million posts of plants on Instagram which is just mm-hmm crazy and again just
4: with that house with with that hashtag houseplants, there could be any you know this is just that tag
3: yeah okay uh the other thing we one of the things we wanted to bring up also um is something that you got peggy from go green highland park um and it's kind of cool uh they they did this newsletter where they gave folks 10 year new year's resolutions you can make to help the planet mm-hmm. and since we're we're just early into the new year uh, they uh create this list that you might want to pay attention to for the number one and i agree wholeheartedly with it is inform yourself uh mm-hmm. learn about illinois proposed legislation the clean energy jobs act we had lisa albrecht talking about that on the show at the end of last year, uh, read books such as The Uninhabitable Earth. Uh, Peggy and I <laughs> have a stack of books that we're trying to get to <laughs> for for this year and getting folks on the show, and um, there, there will be some more book reports going on very soon.
2: Definitely,
4: definitely. Um, Number two, write or call your legislators to tell them that addressing climate change or clean water, clean air, overuse of plastics, forest preservation, conservation, whatever you care about is important to you, and you'd be willing to vote for it. So contact your legislators for the issues that you care about.
3: Yep, absolutely. Um,
4: Number three, use less plastic. Buy produce without plastic. Pantry foods that are packaged in metal glass or paper you can reuse. Bring your own bags if you can. Um, stop using plastic utensils. Don't get them if you're getting takeout food.
3: I, uh, I have a, a, a place I go to in the neighborhood where I have trained the guy. Uh, I go to a, a, a Thai place in Logan Square, and my buddy Chong who is there, I'll call and, um, and he'll say, uh, would you like to place an order? I go, yeah, it's Mr. Mike. And he's, oh, Mr. Mike. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I'll place my order and, and um, I show up and he, there's no, there are no plastic, there's no plastic silverware in there at all. Um, and I, and when I leave, I do not let him give me a plastic bag. I, they have a paper bag, which they then put into a plastic bag. And I say, nope, no plastic bag. And he knows that. Yep. So it's always set up for me, especially if it's me, he knows not to put that stuff in. So you can train people. You just, and you just have to be aware of it yourself. It, it took me a long time because I, I couldn't remember. I would forget. And, um, and I finally did train myself to do that. Um, so Less and especially, uh, they talk about urge your favorite retailers to take plastic problems seriously. Mm-hmm. You can find metal drinking straws, bamboo toothbrushes. We have bamboo toothbrushes here. Reusable silicon and beeswax uh, wraps and containers. We reuse wraps like crazy in this household. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. No... Rewash
4: the plastic bags. Rewash yeah. the foil. Yep. It's
3: a pain in the butt, but we do. We wash, uh, and then at a certain point, the foil gives up, and then you recycle it. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, bamboo utensils. You so- yeah. Bar Yeah,
4: I was yeah. going to. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope. I was just um, running into a couple of the other ones. Well, you were still on that one, though. So sorry. Well,
3: anyway, I just, just a different. The plastic is so ubiquitous and such a huge problem. Uh, and there are so many ways you can cut back on it. Uh, and if the consumers don't do it, it was as uh, like Ariel was saying, if you buy the stuff, the people in the stores uh, know you're buying it. If you don't buy they're it, watching. they're watching. They know you're not buying it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Really? Yeah. Uh, and you think I can't do anything as a single consumer. No, but if everybody does it, uh, it makes a difference. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Move on to, to uh, the other.
4: Uh, I was knowledge. running through a couple of these quickly. Use solar energy, community solar Programs, reduce meat consumption, um, donate to one of the many nonprofits who are creating solutions, donate to one of the groups that is actively working right now on things, volunteer, be it locally, be it nationally, be it in your region, get free training courses, donate some of your time, start a compost pile. We talk about that a lot. You're Um, here. And here's here's I've, the, I have, have by the reason. way,
3: speaking of compost piles, what happens in my house, of course, is I put compost from the kitchen in uh, big containers and then they sit out on the porch until I get a chance mm-hmm. to throw them <laughs> into the compost pile. I got uh, uh, like half a dozen of those ready to go into the compost pile. right now. I mean, you know, it doesn't make any difference. It's going to yeah. it's going to sit there anyway and not decompose very much over the winter. But yeah. then spring comes and it all heats up.
4: You know, one thing they, because this is up in Lake County, if you get Lakeshore Recycling as your waste hauler, um, we've had the option for a while to have curbside organic pickup. And I think I sent you something a couple weeks ago that Swalco, um, Solid Waste of Lake County, is also starting a pilot program on
3: composting. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see how many more communities start that this year. All right. And anyway, use solar energy if you can. Reduce meat consumption. Donate to one of the many nonprofits who are creating solutions. Uh, volunteer. Uh, avoid using pesticides and weed killers. Please stop doing that. That's just nonsense. Don't. It's you. You don't need them. Um, and give away rather than throw away. You can arrange for charity donation uh, in a lot of places is just so many different things you can do to get rid of your junk. And it doesn't mean throwing it in to the garbage. Okay. We're out of time.
4: As they say at the end here, let's do this thing, not just because it's hard, but because we have no other choice.
3: Exactly. A good way to start 2021. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, we're talking to gardeners and how they coped with a pandemic year. We'll be right back.
6: Hi, I'm Vic Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. You know, when a tree grows in its ideal form, it's amazing how it's naturally engineered to withstand the challenges of weather and time. But defects in trees are common and make it more likely that a tree or branch will fall over the course of time or in severe weather. Some of these defects can be addressed by the addition of support systems. These systems should be installed by an arborist, one who has specific expertise in following established industry standards to help ensure safety and effectiveness, and that the correct tools and equipment are used. A weak branch union, or V-crotch, is one common defect. It may be found close to the ground or higher up in the tree's canopy. Either way, it puts the tree at a serious disadvantage. Excessive movement of these two stems can push the strength of this union past its capacity and cause it to break. So it could use some additional support, an advantage, if you will. We can help limit the movement of these two stems by cabling them together higher up in the canopy of the tree. Some trees may also benefit from a bracing rod, which is a threaded rod installed directly through the branching. These add strength to the defective area when it experiences excessive force, often caused by these stems twisting in the wind. For over a century, Bartlett Tree Experts has been developing cabling and bracing systems that have become the industry's standard we can design and install a support system that can help minimize the impact a defect has on your tree and help it to weather the storm.
0: Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Barklet.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good
3: food to eat. and Make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music. And welcome back. Give me all that I can to the show, it's uh, great to have you here on a Sunday morning, and um, for all of you folks skipping church, uh, I really, really, really appreciate it. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, you know what I like to tell people is that this this is a kind of church here, you know. And uh, and I want to play one more thing, uh, Peggy, in honor of you because you you said we needed to play this.
6: Alan, Alan.
7: Alan, 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 out, Al! Alan.
3: All right, Maggie, you're <laughs> laughing. Do you know what that is?
7: Yes, it sounds like my kids.
3: Oh. <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> mom, 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 mommy, mom. Mommy, mom. <laughs> No,
3: it's okay. It's it's uh, it's an animal thing that uh, I think the BBC did or the somebody. The BBC. Yeah. Um, and
4: I believe that is a prairie dog.
3: Um. Uh, it, it might very well be, uh, yeah. And, uh, so, uh, and by the way that when I said Meggie there, I saw her laughing. That's, uh, Meggie, how do you pronounce your last name?
7: It's Caritas.
3: Caritas. All right. Make sure. Cause I, I never get it right. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Peggy does Peg, Peggy's known you long enough to do that. Yeah. Meggie Caritas and, uh, uh, Meggie, uh, We've known uh, for a while. She she she's worked with us on many things. She is a Chicago-based communications consultant, writer, and we just found out master gardener in training. Uh, How's that going?
7: I I got a 96 on my final exam in December. So now, yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Thank
3: you. Yeah, you need to uh, now go out and do your volunteer work, right? Yep. All right. On her left as you're watching on the screen, uh, is Alexandria Zuck, sometimes known as Alex. We'll call you Alex. Uh, And you're the person who made this happen, Alex, uh, because I received an email from you. And by the way, I should say that Alex uh, is an acute care physical therapist working um, at a large trauma center on the south side of Chicago. Actually, I wouldn't consider that south side. It's in Aurora, right? Uh, Oakland, Oakland. Oh, where did I see Aurora? I saw Aurora something in something you sent me. Okay, so it is the huh. South Side of Chicago. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, you wrote to me uh, a couple of months ago, actually, um, about what was uh, going on in your life, and uh, and for one thing uh, that I I have to thank you because you. Um, you said, um, well, let me just read what, what you sent us. You sent us an email that said, I am a very, very new, very green gardener, making plenty of rookie mistakes, but I have been incredibly lucky to have come across your podcast. You have encouraged me to step out of my comfort zone when it comes to my home garden and inspired me to take the knowledge I have learned from your broadcasts and share them with my community. Well, first of all, I'm like, I'm flattered. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, how, how did you happen to stumble across our podcast?
8: Well, being a new gardener, I didn't know where to start. So I just started looking up gardening pro- podcasts. And then I ran into a lot that just didn't pertain to living in the Chicago area. So I narrowed the search, looked up Chicago (laughs) Garden Podcasts, and you guys have had you pretty much in my ear anytime I'm out in when I have a moment to be out in the garden.
3: Wow. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Can we send her a prize? (laughs) we got to send her something. (laughs) Uh, So you, uh, and, but the other part of this story is is something we mentioned earlier, which is that uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, you, of course, were working in a healthcare facility. Tell me uh, what went down when uh, COVID-19 came to town.
8: Well, it was pretty scary at first. We um, didn't really know much about what was going on. All we saw was what they were saying on the news. And then slowly the atmosphere inside the hospitals began to change as well. Um, fewer visitors, more restrictions, uh, obviously more PPE. We were all That's protective equipment that we were all wearing um, pretty much the whole day. And then, as I said to you in a previous email, things got pretty quiet for me. Uh, they started shutting down our elective procedures. Um, even people that probably should have been going to the hospital weren't anymore. So they um, they started to cut hours for the therapy department because there really wasn't anyone to treat. And I'm a very active, need something to do, need to help grow things and move them along kind mm-hmm. of person. And so I decided to start a garden and um i had nothing no idea what to do so i started researching and reading and pretty much like scoured the shelves and grabbed as many seeds as i could during that initial like covid panic and uh, just threw it in the ground and hoped for the best
3: well uh i i hope you got some good advice for us from us once or twice uh on the show um but the thing that we do uh i hope has turned you uh to the right uh, kinds of books to, to look for and and resources where you could put a garden together uh, you sent me some photos and i'll i'll get to them in a little bit uh but you seem to know what you're doing there um tell me just a little bit that you mentioned the other day uh, getting back to the pandemic you mentioned that you've actually received uh, the first dose of the vaccine. You're the only person I know who has received a dose of the vaccine.
8: So I actually got my second dose on Friday. Oh, wow. So I'm okay. currently wow. uh, completely vaccinated. Um, get out and do it when you get the opportunity. Uh, it's going to help a lot of people. Um, it's going to help a lot of healthcare workers ease the burden that they're under. Um, I will say that to anticipate the, the second dose you might not feel so great afterwards but that's expected it just means that your body is doing what it's supposed to be doing because you develop proper antibodies from the first dose and so if you don't feel so great it's normal it's what we want it means your body's reacting properly
3: does this mean that uh, as the pandemic went along you said you know you got shunted home they said get out of here and there's and there wasn't a lot of physical therapy because uh, of the pandemic, but I would imagine as things changed that you started seeing patients again Is that the case?
8: Oh, yeah, so they opened up the elective procedures again. I've never worked on the covid unit, but I have coworkers that from the beginning have pretty much been in working with the covid patients as well, helping them to get up and get moving again. so it's not that therapy's not happening, it's just we had to kind of adapt and adjust um, how we did it. Uh,
3: And the point I was going to make, though, is that if you're seeing patients again, you need to be protected. Uh, So if you're actually doing physical therapy, yeah, you need a vaccine. Um, And I'll bet that has given you some peace of mind.
8: Definitely, especially with um, coming home every day. My routine from the beginning has pretty much been I have a detached garage, but I come into the garage, I change into a robe, I go immediately to the shower, I don't talk to anyone, I can't even hug my kid when I first get home, so now that I have the vaccine, I'm a little less concerned about bringing it um, into my home, Mm -hmm. so it's been a big, it's a blessing.
3: Wow, wow, I'm sorry, I'm just, uh, I I know you're not... In the COVID ward, but even so, being as close as you are uh, to patients is—it um, just kind of blows me away. So, um, thank you for your work, and uh, let's let's go to to Maggie here, uh, and then I'm going to get pictures of each of your gardens because you guys sent me some stuff, and we can talk about what you did. Yeah. Uh, what about your story, uh, Maggie? During uh, the pandemic, how did you get inspired?
7: yeah so I've had uh we've had this house for almost it'll be nineteen years in March and for all those years we've never really done a ton of gardening we've done a couple of tomatoes a couple of peppers um we just never really had the time honestly we now have two little now they're teenagers but we just didn't put a lot of time and investment in it and once the pandemic hit and we were all stuck at home. But the other thing, you're not just stuck at home. we weren't running around. So my kids have after school activities, they on weekends, we were always doing something. We never really had enough time to invest in our garden. So because we finally had the time and we were we had cabin fever already, we just started doing more work outside. And thankfully, my mom, who's who's part of our pod, um, has a lot of experience. So she came and helped me understand the importance of proper soil and where things should go, um, based on sunlight and soil. So all of that kind of helped me develop a garden that I never knew was possible. The other thing is because we were, our sheltering in place began in mid-March, I started seeds inside because there was nothing else to do and it went crazy I mean every single ledge had um, silo red silo cups with seeds I mean Peggy knows because she's probably (laughs) I mean I the first time I literally saw a seed the first time I saw the plant coming up I like was in tears I was so excited I grew that I grew that it was so fun so I think Based on that, um, and kind of like Alex, I just started, I had no idea. So, you know, we didn't order seeds in advance, like, you know, how many other thousands of people in the country. So I relied on, um, I live in Old Irving Park, and there's a neighboring um, gardening group called the Avondale Gardening Association. And somehow I stumbled upon them. I have no idea how, and one um, one of the women who was in charge of it had seeds. And she was like, do you want some seeds? I'm like, yes, I would love some seeds. So one, you know, frigid March, I walked over to her home. She gave me, I don't know, half a dozen type of seeds and I grew all of them. Um, (laughs) So it was through the generosity. (laughs) It was through the generosity of someone else who had seeds already available. So it was a, it was low risk for me. Right. I'm like, what do I, what do I have to lose? Right. I just and they they grew. Oh, but talk about experimentation. Like Alex, like we just didn't know. So I had no idea. So I just took my silo cups outside, grabbed some soil from my garden, (laughs) brought them back in, put the seeds in there. And one day I remember we were having like a a Zoom session with the Avondale Gardening Association. And I'm like, "My, my tomato seeds are just not coming up. And the woman one of the women was um, asked, well, what kind of soil did you use? I'm like, I just went to my backyard. She's like, oh, well. maybe." <laughs> she was being so kind, because you know what, I like crush my soul. It's like, well, maybe they might grow, but she knew, she knew. She's like, that's not the kind of soil you want inside, right? But you learn, that's how we learn. Oh,
3: that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Uh, did you grow anything yeah, from seed? In the community. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly the gardening community. And Alex, totally. did you grow things from seed yeah. as well?
8: Oh, everything. Um, and speaking of help of neighbors, the and the soil, I um, we obviously didn't get this going until March when everyone was sent home, and there was no soil to be found anywhere unless right, you were to buy. Right. It. Yeah. Oh. Um, three yards of soil, I think, and I couldn't even find that. And my neighbor next door was nice enough to say that her husband had unfortunately passed and they needed, she no longer needed the bed and he had been cultivating his garden for, Mm -hmm. they've lived here like decades. So I spent the first three weeks with my kid's wagon and like a zip, like a big bin, shoveling it and moving it around the fence line, dumping it in the garden um everything was from seed, and i almost gave up on it until my husband on mother's day said i know that you're freaking out i know nothing's coming up but have you been out there and looked and i went and that's when i saw the first like rose popping up it was amazing
3: yeah sometimes they they don't come up i've had that issue too and uh i blame i i I don't blame myself i blame the seats usually when when that happens but uh, or the or the weather if it's particularly cool exactly well let's let's since you're talking about that let's go here and take a look oops that shouldn't have happened it should have gone like this okay there we go um there's your yard and um uh, tell me about, you obviously did some things right because you've got raised beds there. So how did you get the raised beds?
8: Well, that was the first thing I did when I went to the local Home Depot. I got all the wood and set it up. My husband helped me build them. Um, so you we, didn't even
3: get a kit. You just went and got the wood uh, and you must have read about how to put a raised bed together.
8: no. I mean, I watched one YouTube video, so the measurements, you can't see it, but in that middle row between them, yeah. they're a little bit long, but I used it to my advantage. I just took a couple extra two by fours and made like benches to put containers on. So I made a mistake, but I adapted to it.
3: Well, that's great. And I'm, I'm um, looking at the sod in on the right yeah. side there. Did you dig up sod and then turn it over and use it as soil?
8: So, uh. I should have dug the sod up before I put the beds in the ground. Didn't end up doing that. So we ended up taking the sod from those three beds and putting it in that first one.
3: Ah. Um,
8: <laughs> we covered it with a tarp all summer. So it's been getting broken down. And then this mm-hmm. spring or maybe next year, we'll see what it looks like. I plan on untarping it and then having a fourth bed. Yeah.
3: See, well, th- these are things nice that people, people need to know is that, there everybody makes mistakes and everybody uh figures things out as as they go along let's let's take a look at another here's uh i assume that's your husband and and your little one
8: yeah and my son David and and, and the supervisor out there in the yard the dog oh yeah (laughs) um so yeah, this is where we started. I got the fencing even from the neighbor next door. You can see their house in the corner there. Um, mm-hmm. There's the tarp bed that we were able to work with. That tarp has completely degraded. And I learned that tip from your guys' show. So
3: well, thank the, you for that. For the tarp? For um, uh, uh, for ha- having uh, the, uh, killing the the, uh, the grass and that sort of thing by putting a tarp over it. Is that what you're talking about?
8: Uh huh. For the oh. for the extra.
3: Well, cool. I'm. <laughs> this, wait a second. I'm giving myself a ding here because uh, <laughs> uh, somebody learned something from the show. All right, let's. And now let's fast forward to this and look at that.
8: Wow. The jungle. Nice. <laughs> the
7: jungle. Wow.
8: This uh this was it's later nice in beautiful. the sun. well the the sun was pretty rough on it. Um but the tomatoes are in that far left bed. Those I grew from plants that I had miraculously found at like a little pop-up nursery because otherwise you couldn't find them anywhere this year. Um, We also had, I had harvested our beets down in the corner, um, some carrots. I tried potatoes, that was a fail. And then that really crazy tall plant in the back right corner is the broccoli. So we had a lot of really good broccoli flower salads. I would say we never really got mm-hmm. to have broccoli, um, <laughs> but you know the flowers are edible too. So we just well, used you know what we have quite you,
3: nutritious. the The flowers are wonderful. That's how you teach kids to eat broccoli because you you get broccoli to bloom into the flower, and then you say, "Hey, you want to eat a flower?" You don't tell them it's broccoli, and you just say, "Want to eat a flower?" And they go, "Yeah." And so they eat the flower and then you say, you just ate broccoli and, uh, and it tastes pretty good. Now, the thing is you realize that to get broccoli, you needed to harvest it before it became a flower.
8: Yeah. Um, I, things were crazy. I I read all (laughs) back and I mean, Mm -hmm. between trying to manage, I think I might've bit off a little more than I could chew. You can see the size of the garden. Oh my goodness. Um,
3: Yes. Uh, people tell you, you know, if. In a a normal situation, I would tell somebody to take one of those four-by-eight beds and start with that. But you went whole hog. You had, like, four of them there. Mm -hmm. And and, some containers. And containers, which takes us to the next photo with the biggest, fattest caterpillar I think I've ever seen.
8: Yeah, that was our buddy. Um, I was hoping that he'd make it so that we could have some. um, Your swallowtail. next year yeah so we'll see uh, the next plan is to put some perennials in that'll attract more of them as well so
3: so it looks like you had dill looks like a pepper is in the, one of those
8: what, yep so pepper some, some is now time. behind me yeah we have dill we have thyme um, oregano cilantro rosemary um, and some sage lots of the sage did really well
3: uh, and were these in these containers on the, that little bench you created on the side of the uh, planter?
8: Yeah, a lot of them are going to have to get moved this year because the sun, it was just, it's full sun in that area. So I'm going to have to rethink mm-hmm. some of
3: sure. where things are going. All right, let's take a look at one more here. And what have we got?
8: So over to the left was what was supposed to be cauliflower. It never, um, the heads never came, so... The middle were a bunch of bunching onions. Uh, To the right was cabbage, and those did really well, except we had some aphids. So I got some, um, like, other bugs to try and prevent that next Mm -hmm. year. And then in the back, we had what was supposed to be Brussels sprouts. That didn't happen either. And then the broccoli and some celery.
3: Uh, you were really, really, really ambitious there. Uh, that's uh, it's pretty uh, amazing stuff. Um, so congratulations on on what you did there and what you were able to accomplish. Looks like you grew a lot and were able to uh, feed yourself quite a bit.
8: Oh yeah, we didn't have to buy any vegetables this year. Um, nice. So that was awesome. And, and as you said <laughs> though,
3: it, it was hard getting seed early on, wasn't it?
8: Well, yeah, and I didn't know what would grow and how and where, so I thought that this would kind of be a trial to hopefully Mm -hmm. do better this year.
4: All right, let's go to work. In uh, in many cases, I was going to say real quick, it's also an experiment. Even if you didn't get the heads of broccoli or the Brussels sprouts to form, the leaves are totally edible. So you still have – it's just different from what you were expecting.
8: We made a bunch of smoothies. I I (laughs) blended it all
3: up. Nice. All right. Let's look at Meggie's garden here, and uh, what are we seeing, Maggie?
7: So, for the, um, on the right side, you can see it's a, there's a new fence, and part of that uh, actually, if you, if many people remember, and I think it was like middle of March or early April, we ended up um, with a really bad wind. So the fence, which is part of our uh, neighbor's fence, fell. And so we replaced that whole fence and that kind of helped us have a clean slate. So you could see here, our first bed, which is long. And I think it's like maybe three feet wide. It's 12 feet long. So um, that's how we started. And we put some perennials in the front, which is on the left side.
3: Uh-huh. Um, well, let's go uh, to, to this, this, and, and what are we seeing here? <laughs>
7: So here, I, I, my picture is a little pixelated on my screen, but um, you could see it's all full of plants. And the reason the, the path is kind of crappy looking right now is because we ended up putting a paver path from the back deck to our garage. Um, mm-hmm. So it looks kind of nasty there. But you can see on the left side along the fence, if you remember, that was all completely nothing. Um, And that's all, there's tomatoes in there, there's cucumbers, there's lettuce. um, There's a lot of tomatoes. There's onions, (laughs) there are uh, plants, cauliflowers, basil. I mean, there's just so, oh, and all the way towards the back, which is where the garage is. You can't really see it now because we took them out at that, by the time we took this photo, we had about 15 plants in the back by where the garbage looks um, of okra we had we were were really successful with okra this year um and then along the garage which again was a mistake because we put it too close to the garage uh wall we have um beans and potatoes tomatoes and some cucumbers
1: Um, and
7: then by the arbor which we put in there are all are all perennials so we actually took out the the grass so we could start putting mm-hmm. more perennials um, and native pollinators.
3: And you can see some and of the this is harvest. Just some of our
7: bounty. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: I mean it's it's amazing when you look at that uh, how much you were able to produce. Here's I want to show you uh, what really impresses me. And um, Alex, you're going to be jealous. Uh, they were able oh, to ooh. grow potatoes. I think potatoes are the most fun of anything, mm-hmm. especially uh not just for kids for me it's it's a treasure hunt it's a treasure hunt when you go in there and you start digging and you see what you can find
4: yeah i've had good luck using the um, cloth sacks which also makes it easier Mm. to harvest and then you can move them around
3: i'm sorry
8: i picked some of those up this year
3: Oh, good. Yeah, so you, i found those it. work
8: well for potatoes.
3: And uh, you mentioned uh, the okra, and, uh, and this is kind of out of sequence here, but th- this is your okra bed, right? Yes.
7: Yeah, that was uh, maybe what, a few weeks into it that you can start seeing them grow. And I didn't know with this, but uh, and I think I mentioned this on one of my Facebook pages, so I think, Peggy, you might know. I didn't realize that the okra is part of the hibiscus family. So, mm-hmm. um the high, you see these beautiful yellow hibiscus-looking flowers as they're growing. So it's it's yeah. pretty because they're not only pretty plants, but they also produce okra, which I love okra. Uh,
3: so we only have a couple of minutes here. Uh, what are the lessons you've learned, obviously? And, and what I'm hoping that folks watching this are getting is you guys did a lot of trial and error and you and you were you're very honest about oh yeah we put that there that didn't work and we tried this and that didn't work Um, that's that's gardening that's how gardening works I mean you can read every book in the world and still not get it right Um, but so you know I think the best thing to do is what you guys did is just dig in start going so Maggie what did what do you think you learned this past year
7: one of the things, and this is a, a little bit of a financial term, but I would diversify my portfolio. <laughs> so <laughs> my, my potatoes, even though I had really good success with one planter, another part ended up getting, um, there was some sort of infestation of something. So I lost all those potatoes over there. Uh, so by setting them aside from each other, I didn't lose all of my potatoes. So I'm just going to try to start putting things in different places. So if I do end up with a, a bug of some sort that I cannot figure out, then, um, so that was my, that's my biggest tip. It's just, yeah. So I, I wouldn't did. give up Alex on the potatoes. No, no, no.
3: Alex. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta go back to potatoes <laughs> and I think Alex will, I think she's going to try that. So what did you, what did you learn this year, Alex.
8: Um, I think above all else, I learned that we can adapt to anything in healthcare, in the garden, in our homes. Um, If you run into an obstacle, it's just that. It's not an end. And um, in the garden, it just taught me that if I'm patient and I take a step back, that, you know, it's it's not a loss. It's just a lesson, if anything. Mm
3: -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You know, if you plan enough stuff, some of it's going to fail, and some of it's going to be. I had I had some terrible failures this year, I'm, and I'm still scratching my head, can't figure out why. But I had some some amazing successes. Peggy, you do the same thing, right?
0: Yeah,
4: wasn't a good year for eggplant, that's for sure. I had flowers <laughs> and nary an eggplant, but wow, was it a great year for yeah. squash. Uh,
3: well, and and I will tell you that there are people out there who don't know what to do with their zucchini because they grow so much of it. We had like six, and um, I I scratch my head. I've never been able to grow zucchini prolifically and I don't know why. Uh but I usually get enough to to be satisfied but it's not the you know those people with wheelbarrows full and they're schlepping it over to their neighbors cuz they don't know what to do with it. So everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Uh Alex Zuck and uh, Meggie Carides, uh, thank you so much. It has been just, uh, I'm I'm so glad we could have this conversation because I just wanted to talk to gardeners who are out there uh, trying to get it done. And and I hope this has been an inspiration to a few people watching this. I think that uh, um, Mm -hmm. uh, this year, as Peggy said earlier in the show, 50% more gardeners from last year and we had somewhere between 16 and 21 Mm -hmm. million new gardeners already in the country so yeah
4: so get out to your independent garden center your independent seed supplier and get ordering
3: and a word to the wise because we started ordering seeds the other day uh they are going fast so get your yeah get your seed orders in right now yeah exactly alex i'm I'm telling you (laughs) do it right this second uh when you get off uh the phone here uh go do it (laughs) Uh, go, go order Harry
4: Cleese tomatoes and
3: <laughs> Exactly. Thank you both. I, I tell you what, what we may thank have to you. We, we may have to have you back later in the year to see how year number two goes.
7: All right. Oh, pleasure. All right. Thank you. It,
3: you guys, you guys take care and yeah. thank you so much for being part of the thank show. Thank
7: you.
3: It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Guess who's coming up next? Rick DeMaio with our weather and
1: climate. Hello from Happy Leaf, this is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your house plants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa.
4: At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners.
3: You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collected Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen. They swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to CollectedResource.us.
2: It's hot in December Cold in July When it rains it pours out of a poisonous sky In California the body counts keep getting higher It's evil out there, man, that state is always on fire Just had a hard day on the
6: planet How much is it all worth? It's getting harder you understand
3: up all over Welcome back to the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, I see Rick DeMaio has just signed in, but we've got, yeah, you don't need to wave that. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm on top of it. Let's, okay. uh, let's talk about uh, that. <laughs> sure.
4: As um, perfect timing again, as we're talking about gardening and, and growing for this year, um, it's got a new chance to learn new things about growing your own food from McHenry County College's Center for Agrarian Learning. Atina Diffley, who's an organic vegetable farmer and author of the award-winning memoir, Turn Here, Sweet Corn, Organic Farming Works, is presenting two workshops of two sessions each. Both feature valuable skills for new and established farmers. The first is coming up starting January 13th. That's this Wednesday. It's called Record Keeping Made Easier, Strategies and Systems. And it's January 13th and 20th. The second is Crop Planning for Market Needs and Profitability, which is January 27th and February 3rd. Now, as part of your registration, you'll receive either the Wholesale Success Manual or the Direct Market Success Manual, both an $80 value that are published by Family Farmed, which is supporting these workshops. Now, as we've mentioned before, and as you talked about earlier, Atina Diffley has been a guest on our show. Um, She knows her stuff. And you're really going to be glad you sign up, especially when you realize the workshops are only $5 each. So go to mchenry.edu slash cal to find out more. That's mchenry.edu slash c-a-l.
3: This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's uh, go to the audio line and see if Rick DeMaio is there. Rick, are you with us? Yep, I'm here, Mike and Peg. Good morning. Uh, and uh, one of the things uh, we found out this we found week is that we're tying week. a record tying this year record with the, this year. as the hottest a, year hot ever. Um, that's uh, yeah. pretty, pretty amazing stuff.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll call it the warmest year since records have been uh, kept. And, you know, you'll have people on the uh, other side go since, since two and a half billion years ago. So when we say ever, we really mean um, 1880. But I know that's. You already know that, and Mike, your listeners know that as yeah. well. Uh, but yeah, but right now that's preliminary data. Um, that's from some of the European offices. But I would not be surprised if, if we don't come in tied with 2016, uh, we'll be pretty much close to that. Uh, and again, this all comes during a time of the of the year where we're actually under a La Niña. So a La Niña, if you remind the listeners, is a cooling. Of the waters in the Pacific Ocean, from about the Dateline just off the coast of South America, and mm-hmm. the fact that that part of the ocean is cool, still getting still getting, um, you know, temperature departures of about one point seven five degrees Fahrenheit above normal, uh, is somewhat alarming. Yeah, wow. because if we had,
3: yeah, if this were a El Nino uh, year, El-Nino. it might be much above that, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. We'd probably be anywhere between two and two point two five. And there's been a lot of chatter about the stratosphere, stratospheric polar vortex splitting. And when that happens, uh, you tend to get tend to get the polar vortex dislodged and pushed south. This has been something that some of the long range numerical models have been hinting at now for about a week and a half to two weeks. Uh, but what's interesting is every time they seem to move towards that direction. Um, we continue with a very, very warm flow of air um, off the northern Pacific, which kind of moderates mm-hmm. uh, the Arctic air. For instance, two weeks yeah. ago, it looked like by the time we would get to this Wednesday and Thursday, we would have temperatures in the teens, and now it looks like the Arctic air is going to stay north of us, and it looks like more of a polar intrusion. So as much as meteorologists want, want to um, cheerlead and champion you know, bitter Arctic cold Uh, It just goes to show you that the the rules of long-term forecasting, um, I think, are changing right in front of our eyes. Yeah.
4: What is a polar intrusion versus Arctic?
2: Uh, Well, polar is basically anything that's probably north of about 50 degrees latitude, Peg. Once you get north of the Arctic Circle, that would be an Arctic intrusion. So in other words, like the stuff that we have over us today and what we had over us yesterday, if you noticed, uh, we had some nice sunshine. But that was due to the fact that we had polar air moving down the length of Lake Michigan, and that dried us out. So when people say, oh, my God, winters in Chicago are terrible, actually they're not as long as you have some sunshine. What we have over us now is kind of a blend of a little bit of Pacific air and polar air, and that's why it's been so cloudy. So if you get one of these normal polar intrusions of air, you know, you get sunshine and temperatures in the 20s when you have the Arctic air. That's the stuff when you step outside, uh, the nose hairs get kind of crinkly (laughs) or at least hurt a little bit. Uh, The eyebrows get a little crinkly and you hear the snow crunch under your feet. Uh, So there's nothing in the way of any Arctic air coming at us probably until maybe sometime next Friday or Saturday at this point.
3: Uh, You mentioned something just a second ago about how some meteorologists were expecting the break-off of the flow, and it didn't. And so that's how things are changing. How do you think they're changing?
2: Um, when you say how do you think they're changing, you mean the forecast or the well, act of the physical parts of the atmosphere? I guess – well
3: th- – th- I don't remember the exact phrase you used but it seemed kind of
2: I, I think I think what you're referring to Mike is I, I said the rules of the game of long-term forecasting are ah, changing. That's, that's what I what meant. Okay. okay. Yeah, so, how, so, is so, how is that? So so yeah, so in regards to that, um, if you generally tend to say, you know, strong La Nina you know, split of the polar, you know, of the of the polar vortex uh, arctic air in in two and a half to three weeks, that's not happening. Um, and I think part of it is due to the fact that we continue to have this mild flow of air in off the um, Pacific ocean. Um, and that generally continues to push in, you know, zonal flow. Now you got to be careful here because people will say, I just heard, I just heard of, you know, the, 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 the biggest snowstorm in years has hit center, center, which, which is true. So what happens is there's a very high amplitude wave of energy moving across the atlantic ocean which has been dipping down over western europe i think last week we talked about western europe being very cold and there has Mm -hmm. been some very cold air uh basically over most over most of europe particularly western europe for the last 10 days or so so all you got to do is get underneath one of these things and you make it makes all of a sudden winter come back very very quickly but the bottom line is when you look at the overall regime of the polar vortex the one that circumnavigates the entire northern hemisphere, it just doesn't look like something that shows really super cold Arctic air. And if you're going to get it, this is the time of the year, basically the, basically the middle to latter half of the month of January.
3: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, something else you, you sent us, uh, which we kind of knew about and we've been following on this show for a couple of years is the Trump administration reversing more than one hundred environmental yeah. wait I gotta say it like Bill I, Curtis. Environmental, environmental. Um, and uh, and there's a it, list it, there and what including I including
4: Arctic drilling that got buried in last week's news.
2: Yeah, oh a lot of things have got buried like when eats in, in Georgia and giving, you know, the democratically carpically carte blanche to do anything they want over the next two years, which Bernie Sanders reminded us but but yeah, Mike, it's important it's to, to point out that a lot of those regulations that the Trump administration uh, tried to reverse are still in court. And most mm-hmm. likely, beginning Thursday after the inauguration, all those are basically going to be dismissed and are not going to be challenged anymore, because obviously we have you know a new administration there. But it also shows you that um, there's a desire from Republicans and particularly concerns to, to overturn something in the sake of corporate profits. I mean that's been the case for years and hopefully that's not going to continue um, even if say there's some sort of catas- cataclysmic changing the electoral um, you know, standings of, of the Democrats come 2022 because that's everybody's thinking is whether or not there's going to be a rebound after this pe- this past rebound. But the mm-hmm. bottom line is um, there's nothing better. The having, having someone in the White House and someone like a John Kerry or a Gina McCarthy saying, no, not so fast. And if you really have, have some perspective, just Google Bill Maher's show from January 20th, 2017. That was the Friday after the inauguration. And literally, you had people on, on, the, on the panel talking about all the things that could possibly change and could happen over the next four years. And they all did. And thankfully, the voters back in 2018 and now obviously here in 2020 have said enough is enough. So we're hoping that any sort of the most of those regulations that have been overturned are either going to be stopped in the courts or are going to be, quote, re-reversed, if that's a word that I can use on the air. Yeah.
3: Well, some people say that uh, it's going to be more difficult than that. And I think the. One of the horrible problems that uh, the Biden administration is going to be facing coming in is the gutting of these, uh, well, the EPA, a lot of the scientists and, and their work um, has been. Uh, yeah, they've left. They're yeah, th- some of them have left and yeah. they're going to have to repopulate that. And and, and 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 the morale has to be rock bottom right now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is. And I I know someone who is an adjunct professor at Oakton, um, who works for the EPA downtown. And that's basically exactly what he's been echoing, Mike and Peg, is how the morale has been pushed so far down, it's hard to see how it's going to rebound. And the fact that Biden has been basically blocked from having a smooth transition um, since November 4th has probably made it a lot more difficult. But it's, you know, people, you know, talked about, um, on the other side about have someone, having someone like Biden you know, in office is terrible, but he's been basically our president for the last week, if anybody has really noticed. So the fact that we have someone who knows Washington uh, and can pick things up really, really quickly, um, I, I, I think is really helpful. If this would have been Obama coming into office, I think the the uphill climb would have been much, much more difficult. But I think Biden, with a lot of his connections, and he does tend to work across the aisle pretty well. Um, I think the, I think it's going to turn around pretty fast.
3: I'm not going to make you comment on this because it's something that I want to send you, uh, but I, I was kind of stopped in my tracks when I saw this headline from Inside Climate News uh, just the other mm-hmm. day. It was January 3rd, so it was a week ago. Um, mm-hmm. Many Here's the headline. Many scientists now yeah. say global warming could stop relatively quickly after emissions go to zero. That's one of the recent, uh, several recent conclusions about climate yeah. change that came more sharply into focus in 2020. Now, this is not what we've been told uh, for forever, pretty much. So um, I. Well, I don't... That's, a, that's a big if. I mean,
2: emissions going to zero is probably yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: But yeah, take a look at I the mean... article
2: and maybe talk about it another week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, sure. I mean, I mean, that, that means that means all of a sudden we're not going to have, you know, airplanes or or trains or buses that run on, you know, that yeah. run on, you know, combustible engines. That's not going to happen anytime soon. And I and I tell my students that I mean, I know that, you know, there's people in the academia hierarchy that say we have to get to zero. And I'm like, do you realize what you're going to be doing to the American economy by doing that? You have to work your way gradually towards that. But to say it's going to happen it's it's like it's like telling people that that you don't give a damn about climate change and the people who do are gonna go no. So you got to be really careful. you got to be able to kind of toe the line uh, and 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 toe it on both sides because clearly we realize that as as much as the people listening to this program you know hate the outgoing president, there were seventy five million people that voted for him and eight million more than the last election. So um, you have to be able to move forward but also appease both sides. And that's kind of difficult. And it's probably become more difficult than the last one or two years. There's a lot of, a lot of shedding of, of old thoughts due to conspiracy theories that, that have to happen. And that doesn't happen by knocking people over the head with a sign. That happens with pointing out fact over fiction. And, and that comes with, with education. And, and hopefully uh, people have the wherewithal to go, yeah, you know what, I guess you are kind of right. And um, that number I still think is, is pretty high from the, from the people going, eh, I don't really care what you say. On the other hand, um, and mm-hmm.
3: I'll, I'll give you this last bit before you do a forecast, uh, I just read yesterday that Massachusetts plans to phase out gasoline-fueled cars by 2035. That is hmm. a Republican governor who has that plan
2: <laughs> in Massachusetts, so go figure. So what do you do? You you get to the you, you get to the toll booth, and they go, "Sorry, you can't come in." Well,
3: I, I don't, don't know about. I don't that. know. That's a really yeah. interesting point. Uh, it's. I imagine you pay I a imagine. really big
2: fee. Probably That's, sale
4: of new cars.
3: It's quite yeah. Possible. Probably
2: the sale of new cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with wanting to go in that direction. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting to point out that um, we've probably are going to see, and I know you and Peg have talked about this, lower emissions due to the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. But those emissions um, will probably come back uh, only because we probably have, you know, a lot more people all of a sudden driving with, you know, during the next, you know, nine to 12 months. So I wouldn't be surprised if 2021 peaks a little bit, but we have to go back to making sure that we, you know, uh, remain, um, intact with the admission regulations that the mm-hmm. Obama administration, you know, put out. And then Trump quickly wanted to get rid of. Now, it's it's important to note that right after President, President Trump lost the election on November 3rd, uh, both GM and I forget the other carmaker in the United States said, we don't plan to go that route. So they were literally waiting for the election to basically bear the truth of the fact that even though the president wanted those, you know, emission regulations dumped, um, they were never going to go that direction because they know that they'll get killed because of the foreign markets already have much, much more cleaner and more efficient automobiles. So it wasn't oh, what yeah. they were going to do to help to help Trump. It was what they were going to do to help the bottom line. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. uh, logic went out at that point.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, all they have to do, you're right. All they have to do is look overseas and go, oh, yeah. we're, we're dead. Yeah. We're
2: dead in the yeah. water. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, you mean, know, I and want something that gets 17 as opposed to 25. I love 17 miles per gallon. Really? <laughs> Just because it says Ford on it? I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. well. All right. And as what- one of
4: our listeners pointed out real quick, zero emissions also means all buildings, manufacturing, et cetera, net zero. And we're a long way yeah, and,
2: and real quickly, Peg. You know, on top of that, if you're going to go zero emissions, that means you have to increase your electricity, and the only way we get electricity um, is to then increase coal. So you got to be really careful about saying we're going to we're going to decrease you know emissions through fossil fuels, particularly oil. But in this country, we get a lot of electricity from coal. So you got to be really careful about saying those kind of things. There. Um, and by the way, before we get into a forecast, when I think about school, I, I hope that the congressmen and the senators now realize how frightful it is to all of a sudden in the middle of quote a lesson have to hide under your desks think about <laughs> how many kids in schools right yeah. think about how many kids in schools have had to hide under their desks or at least go through some sort of a routine not just a fire drill but kids this is how we protect ourselves when deranged people enter our building well I and hope teachers that thinking about stuff like and that. And teachers as well, obviously.
3: <laughs> well, no, I'm Trust serious. Me. I serious.
2: I've I've been there I've been there for three years now about what to do when someone enters my classroom. You know, they're no longer building classrooms with one door. They all have two doors. In case someone comes in one, we have, we run out we run out the back. Or there's a code that I hit on the computer keyboard. It's like that's where we've gone. And now we've basically done that with the u.s capitol so i hope the congressmen and the senators are kind of thinking about that
3: well you know uh, that's, my,
2: that's my thoughts for the week yeah no i got gotcha. you and uh um
3: we just got a comment uh, came in it says i am frightened for america tensions are escalating that's one of our viewers right now and he's a very reasonable guy i know who that is who uh who just sent that in and um, I'm hoping that uh, we can tamp this down a little bit, but uh, it's going to be um, an interesting week and a half, isn't it?
2: Yeah, let, let's just hope that we can either get a snowstorm or some Arctic cold over the White House. Yes. Um, on Jan- or over Washington, D.C. on January 20th to push the inauguration indoors. Uh, right now, I don't think that's going to happen. So it would have been nice if Mother Nature... Would have helped out a little bit, just like it did back in 1985 when President Reagan took his second oath of office indoors because the afternoon temperature was seven degrees Fahrenheit. That's Yikes. cold. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Anyway, it's it. All right. So the forecast then, guys, um, clearly it's uh, cloudy, <laughs> if I can say that. Uh, 34, 35 will be the high. Normal high for the coldest week of the year is 30. Normal low is 17 what I find nice about this time of the year is every day the sun is setting at about one and one and a half minutes later. Mm-hmm. Sunset Woo-hoo. is now 440. Yeah, almost 28 minutes longer than what it was I've a month that. ago. Yeah, there's a ding for that. There's I definitely a for noticed sunset. That. If, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you have peg. Uh, but overall, guys, between probably and probably Wednesday, we'll see high temperatures about 35 to 38 degrees. That's about 5 degrees above normal. Nothing in the way of any Arctic cold coming back at us. Could be a little bit of snow around here on Thursday night into Friday. But on Thursday, it looks like it now may be rain. So a high of 35 on Hmm. Tuesday, 35 on Wednesday, 35 on Thursday, and maybe 20s on Friday and Saturday with overnight lows down into the single digits. But when we talk again next Sunday, um, we'll see how well that polar vortex over the North Pole is splitting or not splitting, and we'll see what happens with that. All right, hey, uh, I'm not. I don't need it. I don't know if
3: anybody else does, but uh, it's okay to keep the cold in Siberia right now. It's fine with uh, me. My
4: my electric bill appreciates it staying up there.
3: Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been looking at that too and thinking, okay, it's not even fair uh, to have it this warm, but that's okay. That's okay with us. Rick, thanks so much. You have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, Mike and Bye bye. There we go, uh, and that sort of wraps things up for the show you got anything wait before we well, go go ahead
4: i was just going to mention we're talking about regulations and and arctic drilling sneaking through and and that that some of the leases actually did go through but there was some good news too like the great lake great lakes restoration initiative being re-signed
3: you know what so th- here's something. what we need to do uh schedule for the show the, that and mm-hmm. the fact that illinois and michigan came to an agreement this week about preventing Asian carp. And, and and when's the last time we talked about Asian carp on this it's show? It's been a while. It's yeah. been a long time. Um, yes. And the thing about that is I was reading the results of their agreement uh, last night mm-hmm. and they're saying, great, now we can begin to design something. I'm like, are you kidding Preliminary. me? <laughs> We've been talking about this for, for a dozen years, uh, and the threat has been there, although they have now apparently three barriers along the way, mm-hmm. They've and they're going to put another one temporary in 2021 this year. Uh, but my feeling is you're going to begin to design something to keep Asian carp out of Lake Michigan now. I mean, great. I'm glad you're going to do something finally, because you know why? We've got Democratic governors in both states, Michigan and, and Illinois. Um, but... My goodness, this has been a threat for so long. So anyway, that's what we need to discuss on the show, and we can fold it into uh, greater works of um, uh, what's happening with the, the Great Lake uh, Agreement mm-hmm. and, and something that uh, we might bring up at the same time.
2: Albert Albatross <laughs> Albert uh,
3: We haven't played that either. So with that... <laughs> It's uh, time to say time goodbye. To move on. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to everybody on the show today, um, Ariel Pressman and uh, Alex Zuck and Maggie Karidis, uh, Rick DeMaio with the weather and climate information. Uh, Kayla was not with us, but Kathleen was, so thank you, Kathleen. Thanks, Th- Kathleen. Uh, as always, you get a ding, Kathleen. And, of course, uh, La Gata and Basil the dog, who didn't bark very much. I didn't hear much today. Okay, until next time, go green or go home.
0: Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well,
5: you didn't miss much.